0: Love Talk Radio. It's Wednesday afternoon and we're excited to be on the air. Your hosts for today's show are Robert Brining and Jack McEnroe. They will be taking your calls and speaking out on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That's 347-215-9442. Four two. welcome to Pause I M Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Pause I M Radio. I am your host Robert Brining. Today, Jack McEnroth has the day off. We are in the middle of Fashion Week, and of course, that is Jack's busiest time being a fashion designer. So uh, we wish him well this week, and I hope he's enjoying his uh, Wednesday off from the radio show. I'm sure it's not off from work altogether. Today we have a really, really special co-host, a friend of mine, Dab Garner, uh, one of the first Americans diagnosed with HIV, is going to come on and speak about the importance of Ryan White funding and the CARE Act and why people need to make the phone calls to their local officials to get the extension, um, to get you know the deadline extended because people live on these diseases and they could possibly be be losing their medication and losing, um, you know, the funds that they're they're getting from Ryan White to survive. So let me um, look and see when Dab comes on so we can bring him on. Yes, yeah, you should be whoever uh Pima in the chat room. Just for people who are may not be in the chat room, you should be able to hear the chat and the radio show live directly from the link. Um, if not, you can join the chat room that we have at www.blogtalkradio.com and I'm waiting for Dab to give us a call, and as soon as Dab comes in, I'll bring him in. Um, yes, you should be able to hear um, the show through the chat room. And I have um, Dab here on the line with me. Dab, are you there?
1: Yes, I'm here. How are you, Robert? Hey,
0: Dab. Great, great. Thanks for sitting in today and um, and co-hosting for me. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, I'm always glad to help, Robert. I think it's a wonderful thing you're doing with Am Radio, and it's a new way um, that we can reach out to people and help educate them on the issues that affect people with HIV and AIDS.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It means a lot coming from somebody like you who, who's been around the block and has, has seen a lot of it already done before, and from you means a lot, so thank you.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Lord knows I've been around the block so many times. I think they've named a, a highway after me by now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right?
1: <laughs> oh, true. I, I, You know, being one of the earliest people diagnosed with this disease, I have lost so many friends over the years. I'm just glad to still be here.
0: Well, I'm glad you're here, too.
1: <laughs> oh. I just want
0: to remind people that we'll be talking about the Ryan... Um, White Care Act and all the information about Ryan White for people who may not know, because a lot of people aren't educated about Ryan White either. They are too young, or they're not familiar with it because you don't really hear about it, whether it's in the news or the media, or, or you know, people really don't hear about Ryan White unless you're going to like family services or your your doctor and, and you're in need of, of medication or some sort of funds to get medication. So. Um, do you want to give a little background of Ryan White, exactly how that all kind of started?
1: Sure. Um, for people that haven't heard of Ryan White, Ryan White was one of the first children uh, that was diagnosed with HIV. Ryan was not born with HIV. He, received, he, he contracted the HIV virus because he was a hemophiliac and received HIV during one of his uh, blood transfusions. And Unfortunately, at that time, um, for whatever reason, the Department of Health and our officials thought this was just a gay disease, even though it had already been identified as a virus. Um, Why people thought that only gay men could catch a virus when a virus doesn't care who you are still sort of astounds me, Um, but, but... several uh, of course this was never just a gay disease you had other communities in the early days that were at risk whether they were IV drug users or or prostitutes or hemophiliacs or um, and even in the early years there were women that were infected and those that got pregnant um, we didn't know how to keep the children from being born with HIV like we can do now and so Ryan White was asked to leave his school just like the little Ray brothers. Uh, there was three brothers besides Ray, Ryan White in the early days that were literally kicked out of school because of the HIV stigma. And even though we had already found out how the virus was spread, there was this mass hysteria among those people that weren't educated. So Ryan um, Ryan was a dynamic young man. He refused to let others like him be treated like he was and stood up for himself and testified to Congress, uh, spoke around the country uh, about the need for compassion and and treatments for people with HIV. Um, I had the distinct honor of meeting him two or three times as he spoke around the country and we were in D.C. uh, where we both were testifying to Congress. Um, And his mother, after his death, uh, Jeannie White, and she's remarried now. She has a new last name. Um, But she has continued to be an advocate for people with HIV and AIDS to this day. Um, And because of that little boy, um, I have to be honest. I, I, I really don't know if we could have got this funding if it hadn't been for people like Ryan White that put a multifaceted view on the face of HIV and AIDS. <laughs> Excuse me, yes. Yeah. That is important. So what happened is in the late, for people that don't know, for the first six years in this pandemic, we could not even get uh, President Reagan to say the words HIV and AIDS until Rock Hudson died in 1985. And then um, of course, President Reagan and Rock Hudson and Nancy Reagan knew Rock from their Hollywood days. Mm -hmm. And that was literally a few months after Rock's death was the first time President Reagan ever stated the words HIV and AIDS. And once uh, Will Ryan died in the late 80s, there was a huge movement um, to get the funding that we now have to help financially challenged American men, women, and children with HIV and AIDS.
0: So when did the CARE Act come into um, play? Like, when did they – like, when did it first start? Because, like I said, I'm not really familiar with all of it because I was so young when all that happened that now, like, I understand parts of it, but when did it, like, all begin that they decided to put this CARE Act out to fund and help people?
1: Well, it was first enacted in 1990, and it provides care and support services to individuals and families affected by HIV and AIDS functioning as the payer of last resort. And what that means is if you have private insurance, if you have Medicare and Medicaid, if, you're, if you were a member of our military services and can get veteran administration help, um, or a couple other programs, this is your last chance, if you're actually challenged, to be able to get your services such as your medications, to get help with uh keeping your health insurance if you have it and can't work any longer. Um I mean there's several different programs and we'll be going into what those are, um, that are literally a lifeline for almost a half a million people living with HIV today.
0: And I think that's something that people don't realize that, because a lot of people are HIV positive and they like, and they may be members of of im or wherever they're at, and not be, like I said, familiar with it and not realize that by picking up that phone, they could be, you know, doing something that's good for their own benefit later on down the line.
1: Exactly. I mean, so uh, according to recent surveys, people living with HIV and AIDS today almost. Eighty percent at some time in their life will need this funding. You you might currently be employed, uh, you might currently have health insurance, but at some point, um, and, and and I'm hoping that this changes that we will find a way to to keep people from ever developing to the aid status, um, but. We're not there yet, and I, I know personally many people that I knew that thought they would never need this funding that still fought for it in the 80s and 90s um, have had to access it just to keep a roof over their head while paying for their HIV costs.
0: Now, is this, the, this is the first act or the first sort of funding that came out for people with HIV, right? Right.
1: Actually, it's the only funding uh, that's specifically for HIV and AIDS. P- P- um, there's a lot of programs out there, such as HOPWA, IACP, etc., cetera, um, that help people, but they all fall under the Ryan White program. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so- something I need to make sure people understand. It was originally called the Ryan White Care Act but it's now called the Title 26 of the PHS Act as amended by the Ryan White HIV AIDS Treatment Modernization Act of 2006, or the Ryan White Program. And that all happened when the first time it came to have a major renewal of this funding while President Bush was in office um, I'm not going to sit here and scapegoat President Bush. Um, I have my own personal opinions of things that happened while he was in office, but he's no longer in office, and I'd rather look forward than look to the past and try and scapegoat somebody.
0: Right. That makes a lot of a lot of sense. Um, go ahead. Were you going to say something?
1: Um. And. and uh, another thing people need to remember that with the Ryan White program, um, there's there's areas that receive coverage, and there's areas that receive very little coverage, and it's mainly based on the number of people living with HIV and AIDS in each area. So, of course, larger cities are going to receive more funding than the rural areas that have very few cases.
0: I see, because I... Um... <clears throat> I noticed that when uh, before when you were on, you talked about going on the, the, what was it, the CDC.org or something to find out, like, what your infection rate in your state is.
1: Right. And there's also another site, the Kaiser Permanente site, um, who until recently had very detailed um, daily information. And now they've gone more to, for whatever their reasons, more of a monthly update um, I which, wish we still had a daily update so people could stay more in tuned. Um The bad thing is most people, even those that are accessing the services, they, they don't realize where the services are coming from. They, they don't know, in many cases, even what the services are. And while I don't want to stigmatize the aid service organizations around our country, you have some that are excellent at doing their job, and you have some that aren't. And, and that's just being honest. Well, that's with um, anything,
0: really. You always have good and bad, you know.
1: Well, well, what upsets me um, is when we first started with this disease. Most people don't know that because of a lack of funding. Basically, the way we took care of each other is we. Of course, we would do fundraisers and. And all that, but the majority of the money came from those that had died, who left whatever they had because most of them had been disowned by their families, to the community to take care of those that were, you know, currently very sick and couldn't take care of themselves. We didn't have things like the American Disability Act that Senator Kennedy was such an integral part in getting passed. Um, to help protect us. We didn't have, and in some cases still don't have, um, employment protection, housing protection. Um, so there are still very real dangers out there.
0: I'm just, um, I was just putting the chat room for people who uh, may be in there. I just put a link to the CDC.gov, and it's actually um, the direct link to where it brings up uh, your state. Wow, and you can go and check it if you're in the United States, your state statistics, because I was shocked when I went on there after uh, you were on the last time, tab, and I went and checked my state statistics, and I was one of, let's see, Pennsylvania was one of the highest, right, where was it? Pennsylvania uh, you're is probably sixth highest among yeah. the 50 states in AIDS cases reported.
1: Right, and that, that doesn't surprise me at all, um, basically because of the part of the country that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Northeast, the West Coast, and the South have always had the highest incidence of rates. Now, some people like to argue that this is where a majority of gay males live. Well, you know, that may be true to a certain extent, but this is also the hubs where our largest cities in our country are exactly um you know texas new york pennsylvania florida california and the rest of the west coast um and and they also tend to be vacation areas not only for gay men but for the general american population and when people weren't having protected sex this facilitated the growth of hiv through exposure either while on vacation and then these people went back home, not knowing they were infected, and then started spreading it across the country. And unfortunately, while it, it's not, I, I don't want to give the impression that HIV is very easily spread, but it can happen the very first time you sleep with an infected person. And it doesn't. You know, some people think, "Oh, I have to be exposed time and time again." No, you can catch it the very first time you have sex, unprotected sex. Right. And and what's even worse is usually more than one STD is passed. Um, Whether it's syphilis, gonorrhea, HPV, Hep C, um, or any of the other STDs, it facilitates the transmission of HIV at the same time if the person is infected.
0: And one of the other things that a lot of people don't realize is, I mean, I was watching the doctors yesterday on TV and one of the questions that they brought up from the audience was, you know, is it true that if you have an STD similar like HIV or any other STD, there's a good chance that you can get another STD besides like HIV. You're more um, prone to getting another STD because of your immune system being
1: weak exactly and um, currently across the country regardless of your sexual orientation syphilis is at epidemic rates um, I've talked to people um, Department of Health people from the community and even even in Jacksonville uh, there's been up to a 500 percent increase in the number of syphilis in the past couple of years which alarmingly tells me how many people are having unprotected sex? Even though this information's out there, whether they think that it won't happen to them, whether they think they're invincible, uh, whether they think they can just go get a shot um, for the other STDs or or take a pill for HIV. Um, I mean, you have some stuff that can't even be cured. Um, you can only try and manage, like Hep C, HPV, herpes. Um, yes, syphilis and gonorrhea, you can go get shots, but there's even strains of syphilis out there now that are resistant to the treatments. Right.
0: I know one of the things we wanted to talk about was basically an overview of the Ryan White Care Act and the structure um, and the different titles that are involved. Um, so I, I'm going to put a link here in the chat room so people can just follow with us if you're listening. Um, and in there, you can see exactly what we're speaking of when we say the different titles
1: um I know right. there's there's like what, four of them four different titles right um actually there's a total of seven um okay. you have you have part a which is title 1 that is funding for eligible metropolitan areas which are known as EMAs and and for those that don't know the acronyms, I will try to explain those as we go along. I, I know I've been doing this a long time, but people will hear these acronyms and go, what is he talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, those were cumulative total of more than 2,000 reported aid cases over the most five-year five period. And that that's what makes you an EMA. And then there's transitional grant areas, which are known as TGAs. And those are the places with between 1,000 and 2,000 reported aid cases over most recent five-year period. Two-thirds of the funding under Title I are distributed by formulas based on an EMA or a TGA's share of living uh, HIV and living AIDS cases. The remainder of Title I funding is distributed via competitive supplemental grants based on demonstrated needs. At least 75% of Part A funds must be spent on core medical services. EMAs must establish planning councils, local bodies tasked with assessing needs, creating a plan for the delivery of HIV care, and developing priorities for the allocations of funds. The TGAs are not required to do so unless they are grandfathered in as an EMA. So, so that's a brief overview of Part A Title I. Part B Title II funds all 50 states, the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, Guam, the US Virgin Islands, and five other territories and associated jurisdictions. Um, included in Part B, base and supplemental grants, are the ADAP and ADAP supplemental grants and emerging community grants. States provide services directly through Part B consortia, which for those of you that don't know, a consortia is an association of of organizations set up to plan for and deliver HIV care. Most larger cities have a consortia that decide how their HIV funds are going to be used. And at least 75% of this funding must be spent on core medical services. Um, and, and like I said, uh, this is the one that covers ADAP and ADAP supplemental. Now, I, I guess I should explain for those that don't know what ADAP is. Um, uh, ADAP is AIDS Drug Assistance Program. It pays for the meds for financially challenged Americans that don't have private insurance. They have no other way of paying for their medications. <clears throat> and every, um, most people that have met me know I'm a huge advocate about the ADAP program because we currently have four states with over 100 people on waiting lists. Now, I lost so many people before we had the life saving drugs that we've had since 95 and 96. And I just don't think it's right. I mean, some things are just wrong. And when we're sending millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, and medications to other countries, which I realize they need the help, but we should be taking care of our own people first. Right. Now, having said that, uh, funds are earmarked under ADAPT by Congress for state ADAPT programs to provide these medications or pay for health insurance under the IACP program. And the ADAP supplemental grants available to states with severe needs, 5% of earmarks are reserved. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, ECs, a, a portion of the of Part B base funds, are set aside for grants to metropolitan areas that do not yet qualify as an EMA or a TGA, but have between 500 and 999 cumulative. Reported aid cases over the most recent five years, and all that funding is distributed uh, via a formula that they use
0: there's oh, a question geez. here in the chat room Deb um, uh-huh um, AZ Scott would like to know if you could define core medical services
1: and what exactly uh, that means uh, core medical services are are basically the the vital necessities. That financially challenged people um, need just to stay alive. Uh, your medications, your HIV testing, um, being able to keep your insurance if you can't afford the, uh, the uh, monthly cost of it. Uh, let's say you were working and now you're either on, on short term or long term disability and your pay has been cut. Well, there's no way you're going to be able to afford those high, uh, either the COPRA payments or the high monthly payments if you're on 50 or 60% of what you were making. Um, it it also used to cover more. It used to cover transportation to and from the doctor, which unfortunately due to funding problems, that's had to be cut in most areas. But, but when you think of core services, think of the bare minimum that you need to stay alive. You need your... Testing at least once a quarter uh, your blood work. You need your medications. You need to be able to see your doctor Um, You need to be able to treat opportunist infections as they come up Unfortunately core medical services does not cover everything of course if you have conditions besides HIV let's say uh, You have diabetes let's say uh, You have other illnesses that is not what Ryan White is for Unfortunately, um, um, I, I wish we had the funding to help with all these co- comorbidities, um, which is, is what the other illnesses are called in the, in the world of HIV, um, but we don't even have enough now to cover the basic necessities in our country. That's why we have ADAP waiting lists, and, and we have since 2003 in some part of the country.
0: Right. Let's, let's move on to uh, Title three. And um, okay. right here I'm reading, Title III provides support directly to community-based providers for early intervention and primary care services for people living with AIDS.
1: Right. Uh, title three basically says things as in, uh, early intervention services to reach people people newly diagnosed with HIV. Services include things like HIV testing, case management, risk reduction counseling. And it also covers capacity development and planning grants, which supports organizations in planning for services, delivery, and in-building capacity to provide services. In other words, it helps your ASO or, or, or um, other organizations, like community-based organizations, keep their doors open to where they can be able to help you. Um, Most people don't realize that ASO's um, Ryan White funding provides anywhere from, uh, for some of them, 50% of their funding. For some of them, it's 90% of their funding. So without this part, uh, many of them would have to close their doors. Um, The other parts of the funding help you get the services you need once you get in there. But this actually helps them do HIV awareness, education, and prevention in your community. It, it, it helps them be able to provide you with these services that are provided under the other titles under Ryan White. And title,
0: so that's title, title three, right?
1: Right, and title four is called Part D. It funds public and private organizations directly to provide family-centered, And community-based services to children youth and women living with HIV and their families Um, when Ryan White was was first done uh, type 4 um, wasn't separate there weren't the number of young people and women and children living with this disease and um, unfortunately over the past almost 30 years this is, there has been a huge explosion as the HIV virus has been spread throughout, I mean, where everyone, um, every community has people with HIV in it. Uh, the services include outreach, uh, prevention, primary and specialty medical care, psychosocial services such as therapy. Um, it also supports activity to improve access to clinical trials and research for those populations.
0: that makes sense. I'm just trying to see here and then um, I'm just trying to see because the on, off of the ryanwhite.com is where I'm checking the overview of the CARE Act and the next one that we have is, is special projects or, or national significance. Does that sound right? Am I going down um,
1: the line? <laughs> well we're, we're just a little bit ahead of ourselves. Um, first we need to get into, well you're correct, um, Part F actually has two separate parts. Okay. Um, Part F has the AIDS Education and Training Centers, which are called AETCs, and they're national and regional centers that provide education and training for healthcare providers who treat people with HIV and AIDS. Um, they also do dental reimbursement, community-based dental partnership programs, because so many people with HIV and AIDS have more trouble um, with dental care. Um, uh, as the immune system depletes, uh, you get you get bone wasting in the mouth. Uh, you start losing teeth. Um, uh, very often, when you're even people below 200 T cells can get thrush, which is this hairy Lucas infection, and, and I've had it when my T cells were below 200. It's a very painful white kind of. Um, uh, think of it as like little bits of cotton fiber all over your mouth and it makes it painful to eat. Uh, you normally lose weight when you have this because you just don't feel like eating. Um, and it can even advance to horrible sores in the mouth when your T cells get below 100. And then under part F, besides the Besides what that does, you also have the Minority AIDS Initiative called MAI. The MAI was created in 1998 in response to the growing uh, growing concern about the impact of HIV, AIDS, and racial and ethnic minorities in the United States. And it provides funding across several of the Department of Health and Human Services agencies and programs, including Ryan White to strengthen organizational capacity and expand HIV-related services to minority communities. Uh, Ryan White component of the Minority AIDS Initiative was codified in the recent authorization uh, that we had a few years ago, and the latest statistics I have on that is from 2007, and just that one part was funded three, almost $400 million, including $129 million through Ryan White. And then the last part of, of, of part four is called Special Projects of National Significance, also known as SPNS, which that addresses emerging needs, emerging needs of clients and the system developing standard electronic client information data systems. Now, when I say this, I don't want people to worry about, well, my information is being shared all over the place. Um, It is true our data is collected by the government, but it is for use only by healthcare providers. Now, the programs they use are not nationally standardized yet. In some states, it's called the the Shareware Program. In other states, it's called the Careware Program. And in other states, it's it's called Others. Um, And that's part of the reason we need a national HIV AIDS program so that we can get all this information in one place. Let's say, for an example, you're currently living in Pennsylvania. Well, for whatever reason, you and your partner need to move to Florida. Instead of having to go to every doctor that you have and gathering up all your information, having to bring that down, and a lot of times it'll make you pay for it, which which they shouldn't be doing, this information would all be in one place to where when you come down to Florida, it's all there for your case manager and your doctor. It'll just make it easier on both the providers and the patient.
0: Sorry, I'm just trying to fill into the, um, the chat room. I just want to remind people that in the chat room and uh, you have a comment or you would like to call in and um, ask Dab a question, um, and it can pertain to the Ryan White or it can pertain to just living with HIV and AIDS. That's fine either way. Um, you can give us a call at three four seven two one five nine four four two, or you can use the click to talk with your Skype. So um, I just wanted to let that let people know that they can do that, and also join the chat room that we have going on live with the show at radio forward Slash uh, Ryan, because some people may be listening in other places. So.
1: And and then I guess what we need to talk about next is who 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 gets Ryan White who who. Who actually in our in our country is served because a lot of people that are still working with private insurance making more than thirty forty thousand dollars a year um, they 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 don't necessarily even though Ryan whites out there because they've never had to to access it um, currently according to statistics more than a half a million people in our country living with HIV and AIDS receive at least one medical health or reported service through Ryan White every single year. Many clients receive services from multiple parts of Ryan White. Most of these clients are financially challenged, with nearly three-quarters having annual household incomes at or below the poverty levels, and most are uninsured or publicly insured. Uh, the clients are both male, female, between the ages of 25 and 60. Uh, they include people from all races, you know, just like the. It can be and looking at you're breaking you're breaking off a little bit, Dad. Sorry. Uh, looking at just the ADAP program specifically. Half of all the ADEP clients have incomes within 200% of the poverty level. Now, now, when I say uh, 200% of the poverty level, that is only $24,000 a year. And people need to remember these medications, the the cheapest HIV cocktail that you can currently be put on is a -a once-a-day tablet called a triple one. Not everybody can take that, but even that one a day with three medicines in it is almost a $1,000 a month. Wow. Okay. And if you're only making $24,000 a year and just your medication, we're not talking blood tests, we're not talking doctor visits, we're not talking any other everyday illness you might get during the year, that's half your income. Just for Very the great. medications. Now, the medicines I currently have to be on, because once again, I'm a long term survivor, there are some things that work for me and some things that don't. Minor $2,600 a month. So if you times that by 12, that's over $31,000 a year. Just for medications. All right. So. If people want to know why funding for the Ryan White Program is so important, we have a half a million people, half a million people, almost half of our community, who without this funding would not have access. Now, let's go back to the ADAP waiting programs. When I heard about this in 2003, I had just beat cancer for the second time. And I, I, I have to admit, I was actually hoping at that time, before I heard about the ADAP waiting list, that I might be able to retire for a couple of years. I'd already been an activist for 20 years. It, well, you know, we had funding. I hoped everything would be okay, and there were other people in DC. I could just, you know, relax for a few years. Well, that's the problem in not being involved stuff like ADAP waiting lists happened. And I participated in a clinical trial study at the National Institute of Health from 2004 to 2006. And I had other activist friends, uh, some of who you know, Robert, who also participated in the study. Mm-hmm. It was a controlled study to show what happens when someone that needs HIV medications to keep their HIV in check, what happens when you're taking off the medications? Now, all of us had between 500 and 1,000 T cells. We were closely monitored, which means we had to go up there at least once a month, get a complete blood workup, and the workup you get at NIH Like when most of you go to get blood work, you get a two-page report. It'll have your major counts. It'll have your viral loads. It'll have your T-cell count. When you participate in a study, you get a five-page report. They are literally checking every single thing that they know how to check. Well, the shortest amount of time that it took from someone to go to quote unquote healthy, which is 500 and higher T cells, back down to almost full-blown status was four months. And it happened to be a personal friend of ours. Mm -hmm. The longest anyone took to go back to the danger zone was people like me with the CCR5 Delta 32 gene anomaly. And basically all that means is there's two entry portals for HIV to get into a T-cell. Because my family uh, backgrounds from, the, from uh, Mediterranean and Europe, they survived the Black Plague back in the 1500s. Mm-hmm. Well, we have gene markers on our immune system that block naturally one of the two entry points into the T-cell for HIV. Now, through us participating in that study, that's how they came up with this new class of drugs called fusion inhibitors. And that blocks the R5 receptor. Unfortunately, there's another entry portal called the X8. So eventually, HIV will still get into the T cell. And currently, they're working on a way to block that entry portal which there are very few people who are naturally born with that, and it makes it much harder for that person to catch HIV. Usually those people will only catch it if they're exposed multiple times, <coughs> excuse me, and, or if they use intravenous drugs. Because when you uh, shoot up, Um, and you use a dirty needle that has HIV, that is just like slamming your body with the virus. And very few people, even with the double helix protection, can avoid getting HIV that way.
0: So the main thing is that we want to let people know that, because we, we all did a blog as bloggers, and you brought the topic up, because what we like to do on POS AM is have the bloggers all blog about a specific topic, you know, and we keep it HIV-related because that's what the site is about. Um, of course, the bloggers can blog about whatever they want, you know, during their blogs, but the topics are all HIV-related, so people can find different, I guess, um, different outlooks on how people view certain issues that involve people with HIV. And you brought up the one that we should all call on 9/11 to get it extended. Can you just – is that something that we can still tell people to do now to call? Like the deadline um, isn't until
1: the 30th, right? That, that is correct. Um, um, you can still call. Uh, if, you didn't, if you did call on 9-11, thank you very much. I heard we had over 70,000 calls go in wow. throughout the day on 9-11. Unfortunately, they still have not extended Ryan White funding. Uh, That's what I'm currently doing this week, is up in D.C., uh, meeting with our officials, um, and quite frankly, it's not looking real good. I I continue to be hopeful, so I don't want people to panic, um, because we haven't reached the deadline yet. Um, What we're probably going to do after I get finished this week is um, we're going to be working all next week trying to get this done we will probably have another call in the end of the month. Uh, through the different activists I'm working with, we're thinking the expiration date, September 30th, as another call in date where people, we will do another mass call in to show them how many people this expects. Now, regardless of your HIV status, I need you to do this. Um, Chances are if you're listening to this broadcast today, even if you're not positive, you either know someone who died from it or is currently living with it. And they need your help. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize, they think, okay, well, it expires on September 30th. We have funding to take us through January, February next year. That's not the way it works. Yes, we have funding in the states, and if Ryan White expires, there's no office in D.C. to process the payments. Right. So that means October 1st, people start, and, and please don't panic when you hear this if you're positive and receiving Ryan White. But in a way, you should panic because your ASO can't get reimbursed. They can't actually use the funds they already have. So that. that what's stressing me out right now. I was one of the many people who fought for this originally. And not only am I concerned about what it would do to people today, to me it's a dishonor to all those who fought for this funding, most of who are dead now. So it's like saying that their sacrifice didn't matter. And and that's not okay with me.
0: Definitely not okay. And I and again, I just I don't think people realize how important this is. And I mean, I can't imagine that they're gonna that this is gonna happen. We're gonna go without you know the funding to get the medications and stuff. I just I can't imagine it happening.
1: Something and, and, has to be
0: done, and I'm praying that it will happen. That something will happen to stop it.
1: Well, uh, unfortunately, um, as you know, Robert, this, the past couple of years, I've literally been traveling the world, yeah. um, speaking up against ADAP waiting lists. Most people probably thought we'd never have ADAP waiting lists in our country, mm-hmm. but they've existed for six years. Now, those of you that are listening who have HIV, you're probably seeing the same thing saying the same things to yourself. Oh, our government would never let this happen to us. Well, you have to remember our numbers, a little over a million, some say a million, some say 1.2, we only represent a third of 1% of the population of our country. And while we deal with this on a daily basis, the other 99% of our country have no idea. If, if people with HIV don't know when they're funding, is aspiring, and what will happen? What makes us think the rest of America knows, much less cares?
0: That's why it's so important that we make those calls.
1: Exactly, um, and get your friends to call, get your family to call. Uh, so many people tell me, especially those diagnosis ninety six. Well, nobody knows. I'm in the closet. I like being in the closet.: Well, but you can you know, stay, you know and what I say to
0: that, Dab, is that they can stay in the closet and still make a phone call.
1: Well, well, yes, you can make the phone call, but but I, I guess my point is, Robert, that without this funding, a half a million people won't be able to stay in the closet, because for those of you that have never had to worry about showing the effects of HIV such as wasting or uh, getting sick with an opportunist infection, which let a lot of people before 95 know people had HIV. I mean, you could literally look at us and tell. The people today have never had to go through that. But if you can't get your medications, that closet's going to get real tight. Yeah, it is. And, um, And unfortunately, sooner or later, as the study at NIH showed, we're going to get sick again. And you won't be able to stay in the closet then. So that's even more reason to protect the funding. Now, let's say you call family, you call friends, you alert them to this, but you don't want to come out about your status. That's fine. I'm not saying everyone should or could or would. You can say it's for a friend of yours. Mm-hmm. You can say it's for, you know, your best friend, a co-worker. Like uh, you and Dad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you <laughs> can use me, you know. Send them to the website. You know, here's a guy I know, and he's been fighting it for 28 years, and without this mess, and he'll die. The important thing is to make the call and to get as many people as you can to call. And when you make your calls, the people you need to speak to are Kath, our Secretary of Health, Kathleen Sebelius, and your local state representatives. Now, if you don't know who your representatives are, and I know a lot of people don't, you can go to boatsmart.org, type in your address, they'll bring up all that information for you. And if you go to Pause I Am, there is a blog entry that I wrote a week or two ago with Kathleen Sebelius' number, the member of Congress number that you could call for all your Congress members. Excuse me. And you can make the calls between now and the 30th. And like I said, if come the 30th, this hasn't been extended, we're going to do another mass calling. And it's very important that each person does it.
0: Yes, I'm just trying to get to your blog so I can um post that in the to the chat room for
1: people oh, okay. to get the
0: numbers. It's important that they have it at their fingertips.
1: Oh uh, yeah, that is, and in fact I should have had that myself. That's okay. But I'll be there in I've been, been constantly on the run the past few weeks. Um uh, where's I send it Here it is.
0: Here's the number. I'm gonna put that into the chat room for you all to call. Um, so again, if you would like to call, we have 10 minutes left to take calls. 347-215-9442. Dab, let's, um, talk a little bit about what, um, what you're doing right now, because I know you're, like you said, you were just traveling, and Dab the Aids bear's been all over. <laughs> Can you explain what you're doing right now with it? Because somebody in the chat room just said hello, and they met you in St. Petersburg this weekend?
1: Yes, that was a great friend of mine, Donald. Um, we, um... We we were just down there for their AIDS walk. What what I've been doing for the past couple of years is traveling the world doing AIDS walks, AIDS rides, uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered pride events, um, where we do awareness, education, and prevention. Um, and a lot of times we've been contacted to either lead the walk or walk with one of the teams in the walk, helping. To Well, well, to me, it's spreading Dab the AIDS Bear's 28-year message of hope because I originally started giving teddy bears to people as they were dying in the hospital in quarantine and continued to give them to people as, unfortunately, we were losing them in the hospitals. Um, Since the new medicines came out in the late 90s, uh, he's become, where he was always, a symbol of hope and comfort, Uh, he's even more of a symbol of hope now for people on ADAP waiting lists, uh, for people across the country living with HIV, and basically uh, trying to call attention to the ADAP waiting lists and the need for Ryan White funding and to raise community awareness. I mean, I'm very lucky that for whatever reason... Uh, the little teddy bear has been taken into people's heart. I have people walk up and share their stories where a partner or a friend was given one during their last days. Um, it really touches me. Um, some people have even been buried with a teddy bear. And it's got to be touching, Dad, because you know what? You-
0: it's, you, people think at it and they look and they go, you know, it's it's a, it's a just a little stuffed animal bear, but it means so much to somebody who is sitting there and feel like, like you know, you were saying back in the day when people wouldn't even touch them. You know what I mean? Just having that something that they can hold on to and hug with, it, it's it's an amazing feeling. You know, even if it's just a teddy
1: bear. Well, well, um, having to watch a very good friend and my first partner die. It's not being able to hold them really got to me. If um, I was 19 time, I'm sorry.
0: No, you're fine. 19, wow, Dad.
1: Yeah, and I can only hope, um, after hearing these stories, that the beer touched that many lives. It, it's worth every dollar I spent. Um to to help people in their last days.
0: You definitely do, man. You definitely, definitely reach out and, and touch people's hearts um, with, with, with the bear. And I think it's an amazing thing that you do. And to Thank still be fighting after 28 years and still going out there and educating. Because a lot of people, you know, after so many years on medication, they don't want to, to be an activist anymore. They don't want to go out and share their story because – they're, they're tired of it. They feel that the next generation has to come up. But it's people like you and Bob Bowers who have been around for such a long time and are still doing it. You are the ones that inspire people like me who are just thinking about putting their foot in the pool and, and, and trying it out. So thank you because you really lead the way for us. And I'm sure the friends that you've lost along the way have led the way for you.
1: Exactly. I mean, there's people like Martin Delaney who, without his help, I wouldn't be here today. Martin got me into the trial studies in the mid-90s when I only had four T-cells and literally had been told by my doctor twice to put my affair in order, say my goodbyes, and Martin said, "Uh -uh." He goes, no, I can't lose you. So he pulled some strings and got me into the trial study when I technically shouldn't have been allowed. And without his help, it wouldn't have gotten Um there's, there's Ryan White, there's the Lil Ray brothers, Kimberly Bergalis, who was infected by our dentist, um, even people like Elizabeth Taylor, um, who I think the world of, um, Elton John, I mean, people that don't even have this virus who have reached out time and time again. And, the, and then, you know, people I continue to meet, you, Tom Donahue, um, Marvel and Brown, but the, the the next generation who's going to make a difference after people like Bob and I are gone. I mean, nobody lives forever. Right. <laughs> so so we're, we're actually working to inspire the younger generation. And, and you're reaching out in ways we didn't have to reach out in the 80s and 90s. With the radio shows and the internet and, and um, yeah and, I, and and we encourage people that have never been involved regardless of your age uh, you can either be an advocate for yourself, your local community, state level or national level um, you, you can make telephone calls, you can do emails, I'm not saying everyone has to go to Congress and testify or, or get your picture on the news. Or I realize some people can't or won't do that, but, but there's a part any of us and all of us can play in. this.
0: Right, you know, one of the, um, one of the things that, uh, <clears throat> shoot, it just totally slipped my mind. I it just totally went out of my head and, and disappeared. The thought that I had for you, um, Darn, 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 I can't think of what I was going to say. Um, So a a, a lot of people are, are, are sitting here maybe listening or they'll be listening in the archives or they, you know, they get mad that other people are not making phone calls or they don't understand or that was the question I had. You don't see HIV and AIDS really on the news at all or in the media or anywhere on television. It's very hard to see. You don't see them in reality shows. Do you think because of the Internet and what the Internet can do now is the reason why we don't see activists out on the streets like we used to see in the
1: 80s and 90s? No, I, I think it has more to do with the fact that because of the new medications, it's a double edged sword. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful that we can keep ourselves alive. You know, I won't ever say that. I don't want the medications there. I mean, we would still—I'd still be going to a funeral a day, like I was in the '80s and '90s. Right. Um, but but the double-edged sword to that is we can hide now. Unfortunately, when, when you hide, people think you don't exist. Exactly. And when you don't exist, you lose your voice. And when you lose your voice this is what happens. Brian White funding is allowed to expire. Um, housing will become an issue. Insurance will become an issue. Life-saving medications will become an issue. Um, so, so I encourage those of you listening, regardless of your HIV status, that to, to stand up for those who either can't or won't find their own voice, um, when when I used to go to DC back in the eighties and nineties for an HIV AIDS event, we'd have a couple hundred thousand, I mean, excuse me, a couple thousand people show up for almost every event because we knew we were probably going to die. But because of the new meds and people can avoid looking like a victim of HIV and AIDS because you I, I truly believe HIV it's something you can live with. New studies show you can live up to 40 years with today's medications if you're diagnosed while you still have a healthy immune system. Right. The downside to that is people want to stay in the closet. And I, and I understand stigma. Trust me. I've been called faggot with AIDS in more languages than I can count.
0: Right. We're down to the last 20 seconds, Dab, so I just want to remind people to find out more information on the Ryan White Care Act, they can go to ryanwhite.com or they can visit actually Dab's site, DabstheAidsBearProject.com. Um There's tons of information there. Uh, check out Dab's work, the wonderful stuff that he's doing with the bear. And you can also um, check out Dab's blog and uh, my blog there on am POSIM at com. Dab, thanks for sitting in today and doing this for me. I really, really appreciate it. It was very educational.
1: Thank you, Robert. And once again, thank you for everything you're doing and and for becoming part of the next generation of people that serve and advocate for our community. Um, Literally the lives of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in our community depend on it.
0: Well, thank you, Deb. Have a great day. You too, Bug. Thanks.